Welcome everyone to another Lo-Fi Poli-Sci Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Pickering. That's right, Lo-Fi's and Low-Fidelity, Low-Quality, In-Your-Face, Messy-As-Can-Be, Global News Show. It's Monday, and you're listening to Pickering Unplugged. Today, we're covering five stories from the past seven days that I think are most important, and why. And there's no time limit on this. Pickering Unplugged goes until it's gotten. Simple as that. So what have we been talking about lately? Well, my five picks of the week are... Top 10 Country Cuisines in the World Movie Theaters versus Streaming Women's Football in Saudi Arabia The 75th Anniversary of the Nuremberg Trials And Art and Beirut Debris Now kicking it straight off to our first topic A discussion on last week's Top 10 list The Top 10 Countries and Cuisines in the World A shout out again to Layla Bella for all the help with the list and ideas And a brief shout out to an old friend for comments on the cast afterward Hey Nathan, tout ce que tu m'as dit c'est vrai et merci beaucoup pour tous tes mots. Mais en mon avis, la baguette à numéro 10, c'est bien ça, c'est très bien. So why even bring up this list? Simple. It's about the culture. Shout out to Asia for saying it perfectly here. If nothing else can unify this world, food is one thing that will be able to. Simply beautiful. You see, Lo-Fi Poli-Sci, we cover the real, the raw, the world as it is. And there is a lot that separates us as human beings in the world. But food, one thing that all human beings need to survive, that's something that brings us together and unifies everyone. It's a symbol of how alike we really are, and how wonderfully diverse we can be at the same time. It's a symbol of how much we have to learn from each other. And let me tell you, Lo-Fi Nation, I love learning about food. But that's only one small part of learning about people of the world. Let's all take a little more time to learn something about all of us out there. And that's why the top 10 cuisines make it today. Not because of the actual food or the countries on the list, but because of what they represent. Now to our next topic, movie theaters versus streaming. The passing of a medium of art? Or simply a pause to the play button? What an excellent question. With the world going all sideways crazy right now, let's get one thing straight real quick. Whatever we think about what's going on in the world today, let's remember, the world has always been going sideways crazy. This ain't nothing new. It's simply a matter of perspective on who you are, where you are, and when you are. Simply put, bad things have always been happening. But to our question, are movie theaters on their way out? I mean, for quite some time, streaming has been getting more and more popular. Even cable streams now. And everyone is coming out with apps for streaming purposes. And some short forms made for your phone are going away already. I'm talking to you, Quibi. Nice try. Anyway, even once everyone and everything calms down a bit, there's no guarantee that movie theater industry will come back to what it once was. I mean, think of it. The top grossing movie of all time came out just last summer. Avengers Endgame came out in the summer 2019 and made $2.79 billion. And many people think those days and those numbers are now gone. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think in the U.S. where a good portion of that money was made, perhaps. But even before all of this was going on today, the film industry and the global box office were both shifting to India and China. Bollywood, the film industry in India, had already passed up Hollywood on the number of films made each year. And the Chinese box office is massive and is a must for big budget films to make their costs back. Their box office size and potential 
will be or rather is the largest. But I think regardless of what happens to movie theaters industry around Hollywood and the US, I think in India and China, that industry will come back. I don't think movie cinemas are going to die off worldwide. It's just not what we're seeing happening. I think movie theaters in Hollywood will have to rethink their game a bit and definitely rethink if they want to invest half a billion dollars just into one movie. But theaters as a medium, not disappearing. Streaming becoming more important? Definitely. Small films going straight to streaming? Likely. Future big budget productions going back to theaters once everything calms down? For sure. There's too much money in it. And there'll be some hybrid approaches and test cases along the way. For instance, a new hybrid approach coming out soon. Wonder Woman 84. Warner Brothers just announced that on Christmas Day, the film will come out in theaters, as well as on HBO Max, which Warner Brother owns. But it will come out the same very day in both places. This is an interesting and innovative approach, and it's never been done before. And I'm really curious to see if the film makes back its $200 million budget. But as fascinating as this is, why in the world would this even make my list this week? Simple. Because it's about the evolution of our societies in our time. It's about the evolution of how we consume art. How we traditionally consumed it through a very specific medium. And how that is beginning to shift. And frankly, I love film. I love art. I love watching the evolution of societies. And how we consume art. This story makes my top five. Because this is a story about us, and the we that we be. And now to our third topic of the day, Women's Football League starts in Saudi Arabia. How could this not make my top five this week? This is amazing, even if it's sports news. Because it's not simply sports news. This story is about the evolution of a specific society, culture, and a country being more open to women in the public sphere. You know, last week, Saudi Arabia's first all-women's football or soccer, but all women's football league kicked off. Now this really fits into the crown prince and the government's vision 2030 plan a lot. This plan is an economic as well as a cultural plan to shift the way the world views Saudi Arabia, to make the world view the country as more open and accepting of all ways. It's about diversification. Saudi Arabia used to be viewed as extremely conservative and repressive toward women in the country viewed as wholly reliant on oil, and viewed as not accepting of outside values. Now the country is working on diversifying its economy and getting away from oil. Now the country has allowed women to drive. Now the country has allowed women to go to sporting events. Now the country has started its first female football league. The government is opening more Western-like hotels and inviting more organizations to do business in the country like the WWE. And the government is acting like we all forgot about the murder and assassination of Jamal Khashoggi and their embassy in Turkey. Nah, 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 Saudi Arabia. We see you, and we see what you're trying to do. Vision 2030 is a sleight-of-hand magic trick. This is all about money and power for the royal family and the close elites in the country. Period. And all of the above-mentioned things. These things would not be taking place if they would not profit the elite and the royal family. That's what Vision 2030 is about, keeping those people in power. But that being said, this brings us back to an extremely important question, and the reason this story makes my top five. The question to you, Lo-Fi Nation. If the empowerment of women in the country, the starting of an all-female football league for the first time in Saudi Arabian history, 
is all about money and power and keeping the royal family and elites firmly in power in the country, then how do we view these two things together? And I'll be open about this, I do not have the answer to that question. I think women empowerment and the beginning of an all-female football league in the country are amazing things and are well overdue. At the same time, I think we all know how I feel about authoritarian governments clinging on to power at their people's expense. But these two things together, I don't know how to reconcile. Hence, I want to hear your words on this one, listener. And now we're shifting gears to our fourth topic, the 75th anniversary of the Nuremberg trials after World War II in Germany. And spoiler alert, peeps, if that last question and topic were rough for you, things ain't getting any easier with this one. And I'm not stating in this one why this story makes my top five. I believe you already know the answer to that one. So some quick facts to lay out the story so we all know what we're about to discuss. World War II happened. During World War II, the Nazis committed genocide against the Jews and many other people and minority groups. After World War II, the Nuremberg trials took place in Germany. These were the trials that put many of the top Nazi officials on trial for war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide. This past week was the 75th anniversary of those trials. Now let me throw out some cliches that are going to guide our conversation and our questions later. Number one, we learn our history, so we may learn from history and not repeat our mistakes. And number two, history never repeats itself, but it most certainly mocks itself. So let's talk about learning history. On a global scale, firstly, the planet had never seen a war that took so many lives and created so much global devastation as what took place during World War II. Every continent was directly affected by it. Save Antarctica because penguins got their shit together. But as such, it does seem sensible that in learning human history, we learn about such a horrible event in an effort to never follow down that path again. Do different countries highlight different parts of the story depending on their own personal experience when they teach the history of World War II? Most certainly. Definitely. But they all teach about the events of that war to try and make sure it never happens again. I mean, surely we talked about in August when it was the 75th anniversary of the dropping of nuclear weapons on Japan during World War II. No one wants to see these things take place again. Period. Now to our first question. Has the world successfully not gotten itself into World War III? To my knowledge, we have avoided it so far, so check that box. Second question, has the world successfully not dropped nuclear weapons on anyone since 1945? Again, to my knowledge, we have avoided it so far, so check that box too. To our third question, has the world successfully avoided genocide, crimes against humanity, and war crimes since 1945? No, we do not get to check off this box, not at all. And to our second cliché that we started off with, history never repeats itself, but it most certainly mocks itself. And addressing the first cliché, we most certainly have not learned from our history to keep genocide from happening again. Guatemala, Rwanda, Bosnia, Darfur Sudan, Myanmar and the Rohingya, the Uyghurs of West China, and potentially Ethiopia right now. That's seven within the past 40 years. And that's really just to name a few of the more well-known ones. Really. As the 75th anniversary of the Nuremberg Trials passes, 
we do not get to say that we have learned from our mistakes. We have not learned from our history. But I'm not going to rant about this. This is another one that I want to hear from you. And I have one simple question, or rather, one not-so-simple word. Why? Why have we not learned from our mistakes in our history? Right in, Lo-Fi Nation. And now it's time to close us out for the day. A last piece about hope and art in the Beirut debris. On Friday, we talked about a piece of art, a statue, that has appeared among the debris from the Beirut explosion that took place in August. And I didn't tell you then what the statue was of, and I'm not going to tell you now, because I still don't want to spoil it in case you really want to go look for yourself. Which I would suggest, pause the cast right now if you're interested, and search for Beirut statue. It comes right up at the top of the search list. But why would a piece of art make my top five? Why would a symbol of hope among debris and despair make my top five? Because humanity's better side will always make my top five. As we said with one of our earlier topics, bad things are always happening on this planet, always have been and always will be. And in each of those circumstances, though, brilliant human beings, people, we, find a way through hope and togetherness to make it to better days, to make it through our day. Art plays such a massive role in our lives. And this symbol of hope, this statue, and the debris around the Beirut explosion, this is one of the most beautiful manifestations of human emotion I've seen in a very long time. We're still with you, Beirut. And one day, I will make it to see your beauty. And that, my friends, is Pickering Unplugged. Always remember that lo-fi poli is more than just me. It's the we that we be. Pickering, signing off. <laughs>